0: Hi, everybody, and welcome to Suffolk Survival Guide, where we are happy to be queer to answer your questions. I'm Gina. And I'm Cheyenne. And class is now in session. And today we are talking about mental health. And because that is going to cross over into mental illness, uh, please take this as the content warning. Obviously, with this topic, we're going to get into a lot of areas that uh, could potentially be triggering for some. So keep that in mind. Uh, I know that we have talked about some of these topics before. I think that we've both dealt with anxiety and I would also kind of classify my eating disorder as like a mental health struggle. Mm -hmm. I don't know if you like
1: they no, totally it's an same? illness. Yeah. You think yeah, it's yeah, totally yeah. an illness of your brain. Like we're and it's like imposter a... syndrome all the time, too. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, that's that's normal though, because we're like told, like, oh, you should be able to control that. But it's like it's not something that you can just easily get a hold of. So I think it definitely qualifies. Um, for me personally, also deal with anxiety, depression, um, I've been diagnosed with a few other things like borderline personality disorder and then I had a few therapists be like actually you don't have that you have bipolar because it's like a really stigmatized mental illness mm-hmm. so then it was like a lot of back and forth um I and then those it, are both very stigmatized yeah um, but mis- like misunderstood
0: and mismarketed.
1: yeah yeah for sure and it's just like it's so stigmatized that they don't even want to treat people with it and then also like it doesn't qualify for like, to be covered by health insurance because it's seen as untreatable, which is not true about it. But, like, so they don't even want to, like, diagnose you with it formally. So if anyone asks, I don't actually have that. that. (laughs) But also, like, I don't know. It's something that can kind of, like, go into remission a little bit, which is cool because it's, like, you have to meet, like, the diagnostic criteria for things and not everything is something you'll always meet the criteria for if that makes sense like you might not always have depression so uh, well I don't think mental health is a linear thing like it's not something
0: where it's like I beat this Mm -hmm. whatever and now it's never coming back like there are a million things that could make depression anxiety and whatever really I think mental struggle you have kind of ebb and flow for example like I didn't have depression issues for a long time and then when the pandemic hit it was kind of like bringing back things that I was like, whoa, I thought that like, I didn't think I had to like feel this yeah. anymore. you need to, like kind of work through those things. And as you get older, I think you get more tools to develop, but that doesn't mean that the struggle just like evaporates from your life. Mm-hmm. Just because like at one point you think you have it under control or something.
1: Right. And I know sometimes people don't even like find out an official diagnosis from their therapist if they see a therapist. Like I was seeing one for over a year and at one point she randomly mentioned me having PTSD and I was like, I do? And like, Mm -hmm. I never even like thought about it in that way. Like, I don't know, because you hear like this stereotypical, like what constitutes as PTSD and like people don't really talk about like complex PTSD. And it's just like, it didn't click until she said that. And I was just like, wait, what? I don't know. I feel like that's kind of a common experience that people are walking around with like diagnoses under their belt that they might not even know about. Oh yeah. And I don't think that
0: a lot of our parents generation have the ability to like take kids to get those kinds of testing. So like Mm -hmm. my parents were telling me some stories one time about the very obsessive and compulsive things I did at a kid as a kid. And I was like, and that wasn't your indicator to get me tested for OCD. And they were like, oh, I didn't really think about it. And, like, I definitely am just living with undiagnosed OCD. Now, it's not, like, affecting my life to a point where I really need to, like, do anything about it. But maybe if it was, like, how would I have known that I need it? You know, so there's Mm -hmm. just, like, a lack of awareness from that generation. I even feel like my one friend who had a crazy case of clear ADD, her parents were just like, she's just kooky. It's like, (laughs) no, she needs Medicine to like not be bouncing off the walls literally twenty out of the twenty four yeah. hours of the day. I don't know. There's just like that thing of like it was just wasn't a
1: cop topic of conversation. I feel mm-hmm. like our, in our parents as as parents. Mm-hmm. And then now today people are like, oh, everything's being like overdiagnosed and everyone has mm-hmm. this and blah blah blah. And it's just like no, it's it's underdiagnosed if anything. Like the. I wish I knew the exact date off the top of my head, but I was just reading about how the first person who was ever diagnosed with autism, not that that's a mental illness, but it's like a neurodivergency, they're still alive, like the very first person. So, wow, really? Yeah. Okay. Maybe this isn't true. So maybe I should do some research first before I share this, but I just read that the other day. Yeah. That the first person who was diagnosed with autism. Wait, now I'm gonna up, I want to look at it because I want to include that. So, in.
0: so we can fact check that. But that, so essentially that means that. They they didn't have diagnoses of autism even
1: like what a hundred years ago, which is not that
0: fucking long ago. The
1: first person diagnosed with autism, he was born in 1933, and he's 89 right now. Wow, that seems so behind.
0: That's insane.
1: That's crazy. Mm -hmm. It's
0: that far behind,
1: right? And it obviously that's not a mental illness. It's just like a different type of brain. But it's like
0: we're just figuring this stuff out. We
1: are, yeah.
0: Like yeah and I could go on a whole spiel about that. like the lack of research in areas I think that are stigmatized mm-hmm. like mental health mm-hmm. like women <laughs>
1: like yeah just
0: so much shit so it's so it's so fun dealing with all of this stuff
1: <laughs> yeah definitely well, um fucking sucks but that's society for
0: you. yeah speaking of dealing with all of this stuff one of our first questions, uh, asks, how do I deal with being neurodivergent and queer? I think I've said this before. I don't think it's fair for me to identify as neurodivergent. Like that's just not something that I identify with. Mm. So I'll let you give a better answer. But my only thing that I would say is that I think there's a big overlap actually with being mm. queer and being sure. neurodivergent. So I, my best advice is that takes all us in the fact that there is a community within that, that. Um, you can relate to like, it's a wide group of people you'll be able to relate to because you are not alone in that experience.
1: Yeah. I feel like the question of dealing with it is like super vague because obviously there are different qualities that neurodivergent people have and like everyone experiences Mm -hmm. things to a different degree. But I know we said in a recent episode, we talked about like reframing things to like see it as a positive because being neurodivergent is a a negative thing society makes you out to be like a problem or makes it out to be like a negative thing because you can't participate in capitalism or whatever like in the way that they want you to but like yeah it's there are so many like positive sides to being neurodivergent rather than neurotypical like your special interests like makes you really knowledgeable about a certain subject or your ability to like do 15 tasks at one time like makes you very productive even if it's like four shorter spurts. So I think like there are different pros and cons, of course, and a lot of ways that we're like set up to fail. But I think you can reframe some of those things as positive because they are, they're not inherently negative.
0: No, I totally agree. I think sometimes people are like, Oh, I have all I have these, like this list of things working against me, like mm-hmm. queer check neurodivergent check, whatever else check. And mm-hmm. if you, yeah, you have to reframe it of like, no, these are all the things that like are just what makes me, me. And it's not, I know it's hard because society is like, these are the things that make you other, but it mm-hmm. is, it is reframing and have it be like celebratory because they are making you yeah unique but in the in the best way so it's it is it's totally just yeah like you said a reframe
1: yeah yeah so another question we got is how do i navigate a love life when my mental health medication's take away my sex drive
0: i've heard people complain about this uh even my um straight friends who mm-hmm. have taken medication and their libido just plummets i think it i guess it depends on what kind of a love life you're in like if you have a partner you have to kind of express what you're experiencing and mm, compensate intimacy in other ways if you're single you've to find I guess ways to f- make sure you feel fulfilled mm-hmm. um but I know that's kind of a difficult dance so to speak
1: yeah and I know we've talked about active versus responsive desire in past episodes so like the people mm-hmm. who just like get horny versus the people who take a little bit of time to warm up so maybe like you said, a side time with if you have a partner to like make out for 30 minutes and see if it pans out to something else like you can make like little dates that don't necessarily necessarily have to lead to sex but like yeah maybe they will but you might not be like just like getting horny throughout the day like your partner might or another person might that's why you you kind of have to like schedule things in if you want to continue to have sex and you're not feeling it all the time like you might end up feeling it and if not like that's cool too but there's like ways to like keep it alive I think you be really mindful right yeah exactly keep at it (laughs) yeah so another question we got was do you have experience with anger issues and how does it affect your relationship and life
0: uh this
1: question's crazy uh
0: because I Uh, grew up with somebody in my house who had a lot of anger and it was taken. I felt like I was um, often the brunt of that anger, Mm -hmm. like undeservedly. And it's a very different relationship now. So it's been interesting to like navigate how growing up around that kind of anger has affected me. And I think Mm -hmm. I told a story once on the podcast about how I had like in, a, in one of the first and like only arguments yeah. my girlfriend and I ever had, I was like more angry and expressed it in a way that was not something she like vibed with. And those were totally things I'd learned from this person. And I had to mm-hmm. really work on, changing my learned reactions to things. So that's like for me personally, because I don't think I'm an angry person. I think that I learned some of those traits. I think had this person been willing during that time to go to anger management, Mm I think it would have, I think it really would have changed a lot of the impact on the other people in my house and myself included. But I think overall, I've had to just be really aware of how much it's affected me, not just, and you know what, not just how I'm angry, but my girlfriend pointed out to me things that I do when I'm bringing like conflict to her for us to resolve, Mm. and how I'm basically like preparing for a fight because Mm -hmm. I'm used to getting.
1: Literally screamed at That reminds me of that one TikTok you sent me About the guy who he was like As soon as you say like Now don't get mad at me He like just like Or like I'm not trying to fight That like immediately like brings him into Fight or flight mode, <laughs> and for him, yeah. So that makes, yeah, that makes. She was sense. like,
0: she she pointed out to me like when we're having tough conversations, which we don't fight, we have tough conversations, mm-hmm. like we don't Same. argue, we work yeah. through things, like that's the difference. And so, like when I have to come to her and say like, hey, I don't really like the way this went down earlier, and here's why, and here's what would be better. Thank you for mm-hmm. listening. She's like, you do an insane amount of self soothing that you don't do. In any other like communication situation, Mm. like picking my nails, like like doing things to my hands, Uh like a lot, just a lot of things. I don't even know them all. Like she pointed about a bunch out to me and it really like opened up and she was like, you're doing that because you are usually like met with hostility when these conversations come up and that's what you're like, like, Oh, this is so
1: casual. Like I'm just like grooming myself. Like it's not, I don't even have to look at you. Like it's not even a big deal. Like I don't even notice I'm doing it. It's yeah.
0: It's
1: it's a unconscious
0: thing that happens. Mm -hmm. So there's so, so that's why I said there's so many layers to having Dealt with anger in your life, it absolutely affects my relationships in those ways, and probably ways that I won't learn until new conflict resolution comes into our relationship. Um, That's not like the answer for things, but Mm -hmm. I am so aware and I have harvested a relationship where she can bring those kinds of things to my attention. And then I obviously do the work on myself to like, I have to keep reminding myself, like, what am I afraid of in bringing conflict to her? Nothing. She's yeah. not going to yell yeah. at me. There's literally no world that she's yelling at me. Mm-hmm. So let's like calm that back. Like, I guess that's at the end of the day, how I do a lot of my thinking is like, what, at the end of the you know day, what am I really afraid of? and Why am I feeling this? Mm. Am I afraid she's going to leave me? Is that why I'm feeling jealous? Well, she's not going to leave me. So maybe I don't need to feel jealous. Right. Is she going to scream at me? No. So I don't need to like, be so for it's just those kinds of things
1: um and therapy if you can afford it but yeah yeah a conversation I was definitely gonna say that in the past I have been like a lot angrier and I think part of that was like a big part of it actually was me not being willing to uh communicate like little things before they became big things like I would just like let things build up or like let things pile up and then just kind of like explode because and like something would happen and I'd just like get very angry all at once <laughs> and yeah. it's because I wasn't communicating like the smaller issues and like talking yeah. them out and resolving them and I was just like building up resentment and like that's it's not okay for either party to do or experience yeah. and it is like really hard to like communicate those issues because it can be scary, especially if you have like abandonment issues, which I have, or like, yeah, yeah, you weren't modeled how to have a healthy conversation or confrontation. Like, everything in my past was just like, I was taught how to be avoidant, basically. Like, I was taught how to like mm-hmm, mm-hmm. the truth and like skirt around it and make everyone happy and never like try and get my needs met because it's just like better to make sure everyone else around me is happy so I don't have to deal with that That, that's what I was taught and so then totally doing that like brought a lot of like resentment into my life and like a lot of miscommunication because I wasn't able to like just say it when it was like a little thing like it had to become a big thing that happened over a long period of time um I'm a lot less angry now than I used to be though I think and a lot of that is doing a lot of that like inner work and like like Gina said like therapy if you can afford it um, and having those hard vulnerable conversations like it's really hard to like tell someone like oh you did this and it hurt my feelings when you're like thinking to yourself like this is so dumb like I am so sensitive I like this is not like a long-term like big issue, but like, if they keep building up, they could become a bigger issue. So if you like squash it sooner rather than later, it can prevent a lot of that. And it took me a while to learn that. And it's still hard. Like I still have a hard time bringing things up, but like my girlfriend knows, like if she asks me if if I'm okay and I say, yeah, usually she needs to ask me again, because that'll be the real answer. But I'm used to saying, no, I'm okay in the first place because I don't, I'm not going to like put my feelings out there and be like I don't know I don't want the confrontation or whatever but I'm like learning how to say I'm okay because also it's not okay to have to like read someone's mind but she kind of has learned like she's getting more comfortable saying no I'm not okay with me and it's probably going to take me a little while because I was taught to always just like be okay and not have any issues that other people need to deal with so uh yeah I think learning how to communicate well is like the biggest uh you can do in any kind of relationship Mm because we do not get taught how to communicate effectively I don't think any of us like we're like obviously it's impossible to communicate perfectly but I feel like the way people (laughs) communicate in general especially like neurotypical people like you're supposed to read between the lines and sometimes it's hard to read between the lines and that makes things really complicated um do we want to take a break there yeah. Yeah, yeah.
0: All right. We are back. And these two questions are kind of similar. Um, somebody asked, What's the best way to support a partner with ADHD and anxiety? These things can sometimes be hard for her in ways that I can't understand. And I don't always know how to respond and be there for her in a way that's helpful. Any advice?
1: And similarly, how do I support my partner without burning myself out? My advice is it kind of mirrors what I talked about in the living with a partner episode about how like my girlfriend doesn't like to do the dishes and she doesn't really like to do laundry, I don't think, but she loves to cook. And I don't like to cook, but I love to do those other things. So I think the best way to like try and support this person is to support them in ways that come easily to you or don't feel like, As big of a deal because then it's not as like draining for you to take on um so like if they need help planning something at the beginning of the week to help with their anxiety or even the ADHD like you could like sit down and plan together or you could like mirror each other and like work together if that helps them Mm -hmm. keep on task um or if it's like a panic attack situation you could help them come up with coping skills when they're in like a better frame of mind to like be like okay this is something I can turn to that helps me when I have a panic attack or when I have an anxiety attack or even like um, my girlfriend works in mental health and we've talked about like safety plans which is like who you can turn to when you're feeling unsafe um, things you can do places you can go like things that you can like reference and be like this is might help me in this situation and maybe like even a list of like okay these are people I shouldn't talk to right now um so I think trying to find things that help them manage it but like it's not your responsibility to manage it completely and that's something that they do have to be putting the work into and it's not fair you know you feel like you're trying to support them and they're not doing anything on their own because it is their like mental health and they you know it is their responsibility but as their partner, like, obviously you want to be there for them and should be there for them, but you have to find ways that I think work for both of you. You can't solve all their problems, unfortunately, and it will be nice, but it's not possible. Right. So you have to like find ways to support that, like come naturally to you. And also that actually help them. Cause you could be like, oh, I'll go cook for you right now. And that might not be like what they need in that moment. So right. I think working with them to talk about like what can ease their anxiety or, you know, like if they need reminders to pay their bills on time and you're willing to remind them of that, like that's something you can do with them to help support them with ADHD. So there are like lots of different things. I think it's really dependent on what their actual needs are though and where they're struggling.
0: Yeah. I think that my girlfriend and I both experience anxiety in very different ways. Mm -hmm. And, you know, now that we're like two and a half years into our relationship, there's more understanding of each other but there was a time when like I forget something happened and I definitely like freaked out because it was very triggering to my anxiety and I could tell that she kind of like wasn't taking me as serious as she could have been and so Mm -hmm. when it was over I kind of pointed out to her I was like I don't feel like you like understood. And she was kind of like, well, to be fair, I kind of don't like if I were in your situation, I would have been freaking out. And yeah. I was like, okay, so here's this other example where you had anxiety. And if I was in that situation, I wouldn't have freaked out. But that mm-hmm. doesn't make your anxiety any better or worse than my anxiety. And when I yeah. said that to her, she that really changed things for her. She was like, I totally see your point. I'm really sorry, like that won't happen again. And since then, she has absolutely taken every single anxiety I had the same level that she would if she had any sort Mm -hmm. of anxiety. So some of it is like reframing in that way, but also we've never put our anxiety on each other in a way where it has deeply affected the other person like sure there's been days where one of us like maybe we made plans earlier in the week and then once we got closer to the weekend we were like you know what I don't think that doing this is going to be the best thing can we stay in can we do this aside from that it's never really like affected each other and if it did I would think that's just like a sign that things aren't totally healthy or balanced Mm -hmm. because you shouldn't be taking on that other person's like emotions like to the point where it affects you so deeply. Now, obviously, if my girlfriend is sad, I'm going to not feel great because I want her to be happy. But Mm -hmm. also like it's not overtaking my life if she's having a bad day. And we've had a lot of conversations on how to be there for each other because we also Mm -hmm. want different things. I almost never want space. She's somebody (laughs) who needs space. If we just gave each other what we needed, I'd be smothering her and she would not be comforting me and giving me the reassurance that I need in those moments. Mm -hmm. So it's also like, just because we handle things differently doesn't mean we can't learn how to be there for each other. And I've like told her, I need you to speak up more about what you need for me Mm. while you're learning to do that. I will ask questions that gives you the ability to do that. So I'll, if she's like not feeling great, I will be like, what do you need from me? Is it space? Mm -hmm. Do you want me to make us dinner? Do you want me to sit in the room with you? Do you want me to go do my own thing today? And then once she tells me, I'll like reinforce it and be like, great. Next time you can just tell me, I don't like, if you don't need to wait for me to ask, (laughs) you can just tell me like, Hey, I I need like some space today. And obviously again, after two and a half years of being together, we're so much better at her coming to me and being like, yeah, today I'm just going to like be in here with headphones on and me being like, cool. I'm going to be in here. If you need anything, come on in.
1: Mm-hmm. Um,
0: it takes a while, I think, to get in a good groove of that, especially because anxiety, ADHD, all these things ebb and flow and are different person to person. It might be maybe even different, like situation to situation. Mm-hmm. But when you really like love and respect that person, you will learn the ways to help as long as it like once it's burning you out, it's tipped too far and it's no mm-hmm. longer fair to you. Yeah. Um, I, d- I dated this girl for a little bit, like very, very casually who definitely had depression. And I know you said at some point, like they have to be willing to like do some of the work. themselves. Like You can't be all yeah. there for somebody. Yeah. And her whole like vibe was that she was like, her, like her depression had become her identity. Like yeah. her group chat was like sad girl club and just mm-hmm. like so much so that it became evident to me that she had really no interest in not being a depressed person yeah she didn't and know who she was without it she didn't have an identity maybe she's outside just of it. been depressed for so long mm-hmm. that it's like almost a comfort now yeah but it was like sucking energy out of me we were only casually mm-hmm. dating so i was very clearly like okay i cannot yeah. go for a yeah. this person yeah i have a friend it's just thought. a lot yeah yeah and, it yeah, sucks and it's because like because you're like i want to be there for you but you're making mm-hmm. it like Hard because you're not there's an unwillingness to like see the help. I don't know. Yeah,
1: yeah, that's where boundaries come in, and you're like, okay, I'm done being your like human sounding board if you're not willing to like do something differently or like seek solutions and you just want to like wallow in your pain. Like obviously things are painful and like it sucks, but like, you have to like try to heal a little bit if you want to be happy. <laughs> like, I don't know. I do think people cling to it because they don't know anything else a lot of the time and it's what's comfortable for them. So um, yeah, I think yeah. there are certain situations where you, you can only give so much support. Um, They're not willing yeah. to accept it, but I feel like that's not true for the majority of people. I think a lot of people do appreciate right. it and benefit from your support, but sometimes they have to like be willing to make a change in their lives. Yeah. <laughs> yeah yeah for sure and this next question we have is my anxiety goes wild I get a stress stress rash etc when my fiance's ex comes over I don't care if they're friends I just don't want to be friends with their ex but I need to play nice because partner tried to distance because the ex is toxic but now the ex has no friends and has no one else advice
0: Okay. My first thing is that just because somebody has no friends and has no one else is not an excuse Mm. to stay their friend because there's sounds like there's a reason that nobody wants them in their life. Right. And if you're staying in it, you're enabling them to not change any behavior because they don't have to confront the fact that everyone Mm -hmm. like they're like, well, I'll fuck everyone else because I still have so and so it's hard because like obviously you don't want to come off as like the jealous ex that isn't okay with like your fr- your fiance being with their ex or whatever and there's a line because if the situation was healthy then I would say like you need to talk to your ex about boundaries and like find mm-hmm. out what's a way to like figure out how this person can be in your life like your lives but this situation doesn't seem the healthiest because you met you mentioned the word toxic and this mm-hmm. person if they have no one else it's sounds like they've driven everyone else out of their life and the fact that your fiance is like hanging on like that okay yes they get like a little bit of credit for being a nice human Mm -hmm. I guess but it's clearly affecting your relationship and you and like you're having anxiety (laughs) over it because Mm -hmm. the toxicity is going to like spread um so I think like you really need to have a conversation with your partner and say those things like why are you having this person in your life and if their only answer is because they feel bad not a good enough answer
1: yeah it's just not yeah as someone who has been the person who feels bad like that's not fair to either of you and it's not fair to anyone else that this person comes in contact with because like Gina said it is like enabling their behavior that has pushed everyone else away I think at the very least that person out Well, I, I slowly started to like cut them off and then started dating my girlfriend and they were like, they were like, well, let me know, like, if your girlfriend doesn't want us to be friends anymore, like we don't have to be friends. And I was like, oh, -hmm. we haven't had that conversation yet, but like, I'll let you know if we do, if we come to that conclusion. And then she blocked me. So I was like, oh, okay, my problem is solved. So yeah, um, the trash took itself out.
0: That also says a lot, yeah. Like, mm, you, like you said, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, Sorry. I was
1: already like mentally, like I'm like over this person, but then like they guilted me all the time and were like, "Please, you're all I have," and I'm a people pleaser and I'm that ba- I'm bad with boundaries. So of course, I continued to be friends with them, but just like distanced myself more and more. And luckily, you know, they severed it, so I could go on my way <laughs> without it. Yeah, um, but. Yeah, I think at the very, very least, if your partner wants to continue to be friends with them, they need to go out somewhere and go bowling or hang out at the ex's house. Like, your ex, your ex's ex does not need to be in your house, especially if it's giving you that much anxiety. You don't have to be around right. them. Um, and that would be, like, the bare minimum boundary I would put down. Like, this person's not coming over. I don't want them over here. <laughs> I don't want to yeah. be around them. But, like... Hopefully your partner can like see the light and like realize that they don't need to be in this person's life because this person behaves so poorly that they don't have anyone else like that's a sign that they shouldn't continue. Yeah. yeah, you
0: definitely have to set clear boundaries with your fiance because it's clearly bothering you. And the longer you don't tell them, the more that you're going to end up resenting your fiance. Mm-hmm. And if you're going to mm-hmm. spend your life with this person, that's not like the best way to start things yeah. off. Like, you, even if it's hard to be like, this is upsetting me. And maybe you aren't going to understand. Like, it's vulnerable. I get that. But you don't want to resent your fiance in the end. So mm-hmm. that's the ultimate I, goal is like yeah. your relationship being healthy.
1: Yeah, you're definitely not like the quote unquote crazy partner, like jealous, want like no. not wanting the X in life for this kind of situation. That doesn't apply. So don't worry about that because that's not even the case at all. I, I feel like that's what this person is kind of worried about when setting these boundaries and maybe that I'm right. just projecting and assuming, um, but that's not the case at all. So I hope you don't think that. Yeah.
0: And our, our last question then, how do you affirm your gender identity when your native language, which in this person's case is Italian, doesn't have the words to. I've actually thought about this a lot before, and I don't have the answers. But I've asked my girlfriend, who speaks uh, Spanish, and Spanish and Italian are very similar, and they're bo- they're both very gendered languages, mm-hmm. like they're gendered based languages. And as somebody who's studied communication and is uh, gay, <laughs> I thought a lot about how pronouns and other non-binary you know things would be expressed in other languages when every single thing has a gender like in if you don't speak Spanish or Italian or other gendered languages every object has a noun your cup your chair your phone your hat your arm every single Mm -hmm. thing has a gender not only that then when you add adjectives like so if I want to say like that person's tall even the way I'd say tall, you're making the word feminine. And Mm -hmm. I was trying to ask my girlfriend, like, okay, so in Spanish, because that's what she speaks, how would you like do that for somebody who's non-binary? And she was like, well, you just put like an X in some of those places. And I was like, but that's not going to work in every case. So I asked her, Mm -hmm. I was like, okay, how would you describe somebody who's non-binary and tall? What word would you use? Mm -hmm. And she thought about it and she was like, I don't know. Because you're not going to say like, the word would be either alto or alta for like tall. You're not going to say altex. That's mm-hmm. not a word. Like no one in Spanish says that. And yeah. I can't imagine Italians that different when the Spanish, or the, the base of their actual language is super, super similar. So like I thought about that because I genuinely have absolutely no idea how people in those languages are navigating anything. Like, cause Mm -hmm. you, it's not a prone, it's not just a pronoun battle. They're battling everything. They're at every adjective that anybody ever says to them, they could be misgendered. Mm -hmm. So that's not, that's not an answer to this problem. That's just saying I've thought a lot about this
1: problem before. Yeah. Yeah. I feel like maybe a good way, depending on how you identify and like, what's comfortable for you is like using both the feminine and the masculine versions of words or asking people to like kind of interchange and not just like always use feminine or always use masculine and try to like bury it up, which I know can be confusing and hard and probably a lot of people aren't going to <laughs> to comply with that. But that's like yeah. an option I was just thinking of while you were talking about it. Um as someone who speaks like a little Spanish, it'll be so hard, especially like as you're learning to learn how to yeah. do it that way. Um because it is so gendered I think another way that you could affirm it is by seeking words in other languages that like could be applicable to your gender like and not necessarily like English but just like any language like you could do research into like gender and it's not gonna like solve your problem but it might be more affirming to have like certain words that can define who you are and you can explain that to people and explain to them what that means in another language um, those are my only two little pieces of advice for this one because it is a really complex situation that I, I don't know how you change it without like revamping the entire language
0: Yeah. If we have any listeners who speak a gendered language, Italian, Spanish, I'm I'm sure there's a million other examples, but like if you have some advice, I would actually love if you could write in or call in or something because Mm -hmm. we as Americans, I don't think are going to have the best uh, advice to navigate this. Um, Mm -hmm. And so any of our international listeners who are bilingual uh, would love to
1: hear from you for sure. Yeah, yeah. Anyone who is not a native English speaker, please let us know. We would love to be able to share that advice because I'm sure a lot of other people are struggling here as well. And with that, we're going to wrap up. If you would like to give us a call and leave us that message, our phone number is 724-209-8877. You can also call and ask us any of your questions by leaving us a voicemail. You can ask us questions by emailing us at sapphicsurvivalguide at gmail.com or you can message us on any of our social media platforms. We are at sapphic survival guide everywhere, except for Twitter, which is just at sapphic survival. You can also follow us on Patreon, which is patreon.com backslash sapphic survival guide. And you can go like, rate, and review our show. That would help us to be found by other listeners a lot. And you can find me, Cheyenne, at hot Mespian on pretty much any social media platform
0: and you can find me anywhere online at the lee Regina, including my website deleevergina.com and you can listen to my jersey shore recap podcast um hello wherever you find your podcast so with, with that, that class is now dismissed <laughs>